Our Lord came to bring in the outcast and to lift up the downcast. That theme is so abundantly clear when you look through the accounts. Especially, I want to focus on a survey of that theme just in the first seven chapters of the book of Luke. We'll look at some highlights. In Luke chapter 1, as you're turning there, I want you to take note that a couple of years, a thousand years before this, God appeared to a barren couple and told the husband of that couple that you're going to have a child. And the interesting thing is that man ended up having that child at the age of 100 years old. And his wife was 90. So a barren couple, past the age, had a child. And through that child would be the descendants through which God would bless all nations. Now fast forward. In Luke chapter 1, we see another barren couple who are old. And they are going to have a child, and that child would be the forerunner to prepare the way for this child, other child, who would bless all nations. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both were now well stricken in years. And we go on to see that this couple ends up having this child. That child would prepare hearts and turn hearts back to God. In chapter 1, verse 16, the description of this child is, Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the job of this child would be to preach an unexpected gospel. But his job was to preach and to teach to turn hearts and to offer salvation to people who were lost. This should be cause for rejoicing in verse 14. Thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. But we know in actuality while it should have been cause for rejoicing and many did, not all were so happy because that man was not what many had expected. In verse 19, the angel answering said to him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Much of this gospel to the 
outcast and to the downtrodden is good news. That's why it's called the gospel. Now, not all receive it that way. But first we've got to see the predicament. We've got to see how bad things are before we can appreciate what God is offering and to rejoice and be thankful for what He's doing. We see later in chapter 1 and verse 25, you feel the hurt that Elizabeth must have had. But now that's being relieved when she has this son. She says in chapter 1 and verse 25, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Some of your translations may say that I have endured the shame that I have endured. Now, we could read that quick and glaze over the fact that here's a woman who saw and had a desire and a purpose and a want. And there was a hole in her life. And she wanted that to have a child and to be able to bring someone into the world, and yet this woman was not able to physically. So there's a long lifetime here of probably wondering, why have I not been able to have a child? How do others look at me? How do others see me? Right or wrong, whether sometimes people may look at someone a certain way, but things they can't help necessarily. She didn't choose this. I'm sure there were many times where she wanted to have a child and just couldn't. But God, in His compassion, and in God in His willingness, chooses many times to use the lowly and to use the unexpected to do great things. And here's what He does. He uses this woman to bring in the very one who would prepare the soil of hearts, to receive the message that Jesus is coming to save us. So you have two older barren couples who have children that are instrumental in God's plan of redemption. But God also can use the other end of the spectrum. He uses a young, poor virgin to bring in his child. And they're going to call his name Jesus, which means Savior. And he's going to be called the Son of God. And we might wonder, is this an accident? Is this haphazard? That God has chosen these kinds of people to do these things. And yet it's a part of his wisdom. That God uses the humble. And he lifts them up. And he chooses people that we might not normally choose and the world would not choose to show that the power was in him and to show that with him nothing should be impossible. Verse 37. This is what was said to Elizabeth that she would have this child and that Mary would have a child while having never been with a man. Verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Which reminds me of the statement that the couple 
couple thousand years before. Whenever she was told you're going to have a child, she laughed. And she was reminded, why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Again, we're seeing that God can do all things. God can do amazing things. And He doesn't need the highest class of people to do it. He doesn't need the smartest. He doesn't need the most powerful. He can. He can use all the above. But He can also use the lowly. And He lifts up the lowly in chapter 1 and verse 48. When Mary hears what's going to happen to her, notice how she says. She talks and she magnifies God and she rejoices and she says in verse 48, For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Here's a woman who knew her lot in life was not one that others would have seen as prestigious before this. But here's what's interesting. How many people would have accused her of some sin because she has a child and she wasn't with a man? And some would uh, accuse her motives. And yet God chose to use this woman and a poor woman a poor fam from a poor family and to show that God can do these things through these people. In verse 52... She points out this point about lifting up the lowly and bringing down the, the proud. Verse 52, He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent empty away. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to His seed forever. This is a woman that is acknowledging how God can help the humble. And Jesus and everything about him was a humble, humble birth, humble upbringing, who they wanted to kill, but he had to, his parents had to flee to Egypt. And he settled in a humble area that was without reputation. And then in verse 40, uh, 77, verse 77, part of his mission was to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of, of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. To, to appear to a people at a low time in their history. They had been slaves for 70 years in Babylonian captivity. And it was a very small remnant that had returned. And the northern kingdom was all scattered. And here is a small remnant now back and appearing at a time that the scriptures describe as, as out of coming out of darkness. Here's this light that springs up. 
this one who is out of a root of a dry ground, out of the stem of Jesse, from that lineage of David. That's the one that he would design to be the king of kings and lord of lords. That's the one who came in to save all mankind. And then we see there, there's a couple of people who are waiting for this and they speak concerning Jesus at his birth. Simeon, in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 30, listen to what he says. He's now saying, I can, I can now go to the grave in peace, that I've seen this. Verse 34, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Here's a man who appreciated what this child was going to do. But in verse 34, he recognized, he says, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That lifting up and the bringing down is exhibited here in these statements of Simeon that he's going to be the fall and rising. And it's opposite of what a lot of people would think. The ones that they thought were high would be brought low. And the ones that were thought of as low would be, would be lifted up. God is the great equalizer of justice. And then we see a woman by the name of Anna. And God chooses this woman. What's the situ her situation? She had been a widow for many years. Well, what can a, a woman who is only married for, say, seven years and then widowed and she remains single, in that time period, what is she able to do and accomplish? Some might have not have thought very much. But she's remembered for something very special. She was not idle. She was not of no value. But then it says, she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. So 84 years old. But what did she do? She departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Do you think a woman who had suffered the loss of her husband, the love of her life, would understand what it means to wait and to want redemption and to want compassion upon her and her situation. I think if anybody would understand that sort of thing, she would have. 
to understand the loneliness in her, in her life? She would have. And the loss in her life? She would have. But what did she do? She waited. She hoped. She hoped in God. And she knew about this. And it says in verse 39, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. This woman, Anna, had spoke rightly about Jesus because she looked for him. But you know, I think that when a lot of people looked for him, they misunderstood. In chapter 2, as we continue, his own family was included in that misunderstanding. His own religious people didn't fully comprehend. And there were times where even his own disciples did not fully comprehend until later. And sometimes we don't. I'm hoping that this is helping us see the mission of, of the Lord as this is unfolding. In chapter 2 and verse 47, we learn that Jesus goes to the temple at the age of 12 his parents had made their way back a day and then realized he's not in the company. So they have to go back and look for him. And where do they find him? He's in the temple. And I'm sure from their perspective, I myself being a parent who at one time couldn't find one of my own children and knowing that feeling is not a very good feeling. And then the relief whenever you find out they're okay they were there the whole time. But that doesn't, I, I, that turmoil in between though. But they didn't understand what, why and what he was doing. And it says that when they found him, they asked him, Did you, Do you not realize that we have sought you sorrowing? We've been looking all over for you. And his response was, in verse 49, not out of disrespect, but how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? Did you not know that this is what I'm about? And it says in verse 50, plainly, they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. They didn't understand that. Now Mary kept those things and pondered them in her heart as she thought about it. Perhaps she would understand this later. Hopefully you're seeing what Jesus is about and why he came to do what he did. Did he come to write all the material things that we wanted and to give us a plan of material wealth and, and success from the world's perspective and to solve all of our physical problems that came into the world as a result of sin. Yes, he came to solve the problem of sin. But the, but the one that he is solving is the re relationship that was broken. And not necessarily to give everyone a perfect 
life on this earth, but one in heaven after this life. And I hope we can see that. And then when we see that in Luke chapter 4, as you fast forward a bit, I appreciate Paul reading the passage from Isaiah 61. When Jesus goes into a synagogue, he reads a portion of the passage that was read during the announcements. But Jesus goes in, as was his custom, that he would assemble with people every week. In the Old Covenant, that would be on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus being under the Old Covenant, he would have observed that. He sets an example for you and I that we're under the New Covenant that we need to assemble on the day that we are supposed to, which is the first day of the week, as we are this morning. That needs to be our practice, just like it was the Lord's. Every Lord's day, every time those doors are opened, people ought to know that's where I want to be. Not because I have to, because I want to. Because I want to serve God, and I love Him. And I want to be with the people of God. And I want to teach, and I want to serve, and, like our Lord did. And in chapter 4, verse 18, he, he reads that passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the Lord's mission in a nutshell that's, that was prophesied 700 years before Jesus came, spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Jesus read that. He closed the book. People were wondering at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. But then look how quickly the, that appreciation fades when they don't understand. Jesus goes on to say, you're going to end up saying to me, physician, heal yourself. And he goes on to say, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That's an unexpected statement that some people might not think he would say. Jesus was a prophet. You would think that if all people, his own who had the law, who had the word, who knew the word, would understand his mission when he came, and yet they did not. You would think that where he performed the miracles, that where he, and all of the things and acts that he did, that people would readily receive it and be anticipated with joy, as some did at his birth, some did during his life, but that was not everyone, as we notice. When Jesus makes this point, he points out a couple of examples. He says, you know... In the days of two, he mentions two prophets and their examples, Elijah and Elisha. And he points out, do you know that in Elijah's day, there were many 
widows who were starving in Israel. But Elijah didn't go to those. He didn't go to those people for some reason. He went to a woman in Sidon, which is an area outside of the people. Why did he go to help a widow outside of his own nation? And by his miracle of being able to eat off of the, the, the woman's last meal, and it kept being able to make it, if you know the story. She was fed by the presence of God through Elijah. But what about all of these people in Israel who didn't get that privilege and that blessing? And then he points out that Elisha, in his day, there were many lepers in Israel, but he didn't heal those of his own people. He healed a, a Syrian general of all people to heal. He chose that one. And the point that Jesus is making is, make, make, make the analogy that these prophets helped people outside of their own, and those people appreciated the graciousness that was given to them, while others did not get to receive that. Here's Jesus, among his own people, among the people who should have known, why he came, and yet they're not appreciating him. They're not respecting him. However, what we know is that there would be people outside of that family who would receive him and come into the faith, who will readily accept him while his own people would reject him, and they would be cast out while the others are able to come in and sit down in the kingdom of God. That is the theme that Jesus is referring to. What was their response? They went from marveling at the gracious words out of his mouth to now being so angry. You might wonder, well, why would you be so upset about what Jesus was saying? I think it's because they got the point of what he was meaning. In verse 28, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereupon, whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. They couldn't harm him. Not yet. Wasn't allowed yet. He would let them later. But not yet. They knew that they were rejecting him while others that they despised would accept him. And he would accept them. But then they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. He healed people. He helped people who couldn't be helped. He set people free who were caged in and who were trapped in their situations, whether physical or social. And he did that, though, to show that he could save us who are trapped in our own spiritual condition, 
Those who are taken captive by the devil. People who have given in to their own desires and have thereby caused so much pain and hardship to themselves. And yet what he's doing is he's offering to set them free. He, he, he gave all of these other miracles to show that he has the power to do the spiritual. He heals this man who is paralyzed to show that if he can say, rise up and walk, that he could say, your sins be forgiven. And so that they could believe that. In chapter 5, we see he goes to an unexpected person to choose as one of his ambassadors that would carry the message to all the world. And who would you have picked? Would you have picked the one with the highest IQ? Would you have picked the one who has got a name and, and has a pedigree of titles and that people would look up to and respect? Or someone that has a, a, a great resume? Is that what we would have picked? And yet what the Lord picked was a fisherman. And he picked a fisherman by the chance who had not caught any fish that night. Sometimes that happens. No fault of his own, maybe. Maybe it was providence, though. But he tells him, cast out again. But he had, he had fished all night and had not caught a thing. And yet the Lord says, to do it, but so he says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net, verse 5. I'll do it anyway. Doesn't make sense. If you're a fisherman, you've been fishing in one spot and they're not biting, or they're not taking your bait, why are you going to continue in that spot? Move along. Or maybe it's just not the day. But Peter goes ahead and does it anyway. Looks impossible. Looks like it's not worth the effort, but he does it anyway. And, this, and then the Lord, through his miracle, allows so many fish to be caught in that net. But he didn't do that to tell him, I'm going to make you the greatest fisherman that ever lived. If you can do that. He used that to show the analogy that if you can do that, I'm going to now make you catch men. And by doing that, he does. But notice Peter's response though, and it's telling. A little bit about Peter in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I have to ask myself, why did Peter say that? Why did he feel that way? Because he knew he was in the presence of someone holy. And if he's in the presence of someone holy, and he's not, have you ever felt that before? Have you ever felt your own guilt by your own choices, and you're being honest with yourself that you know you've messed up, you've done some things you're ashamed of, and, but yet you're, you know you need salvation but here are maybe a people who are trying to be holy or you at least know that God is holy and that you're not I hope that we would know that that we would come to the realization like another prophet of old who said 
I'm undone. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I hope that we would get to the point to realize that we have all sinned and that we need redemption and forgiveness. But here's one who has never sinned. He's never had an impure thought. He's never said an unkind word or anything untrue. He's never harmed anyone or retaliated for something done unjustly. Never acted that way. But we may have. And so we need to see our sinfulness and our need for Him. But God chose this man who recognizes his sinfulness. Notice in this case, in, in, in some of the other cases where it said he chose some who were blameless before him to do certain things, but in this case he chose a man who recognizes his sinfulness. But God can use a man like that. He can use a person who knows his need. And that's what God does. And as we go on throughout the story in chapter 5 and verse 27, we see another man that he chooses. Verse 27, after these things he went forth and saw a publican, a tax collector, named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said to him, follow me. And he left all and rose up and followed him. Tax collectors in that day were viewed as greedy. They're, they're pocketing money. They're taking money from taking advantage of people, taking a little extra maybe. And they're in it for that. So they were looked at as very much like what some people might view some attorneys today. Not saying all the attorneys are this way, but we know some probably are. Some used car salesmen. So it's a similar idea. But he chose this man to follow him. And he says that that man had all of these others like him in the house with him. And Jesus chose to go to that house in verse 29. Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? They didn't expect that. That didn't seem right to them. But again, why does Jesus do this? Because he's bringing in those who are outside of the faith and welcoming them into the faith. Now, this is not that he's condoning anything that they did. If they did do wrong and if they did take, I'm sure Jesus spoke the truth about that. And something about what he did made them want to repent of that and made them want to change and stop doing that. But there's also something about him that gave them the opportunity to want to give up that nature of themselves, as they did. But there's some who had maybe not committed that sin but looked down on these who had now were coming into the faith and viewed them with disgust, even though they had been forgiven. And so Jesus points out that they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. 
And then we see in chapter 7 a centurion. This is a man, by the way, a centurion would not have been probably a Jew, but would have been outside of Israel. And yet this man needed someone to be healed, but he had enough faith to say, just say the word and it and will happen. And Jesus comments, I haven't seen that kind of faith even in Israel. And the point was, even among his own people, they didn't have that kind of a faith. But here's somebody who's an outsider, who has more faith than those who are within who should have had that faith. Sometimes there are those outside of the faith who put us to shame sometimes in their willingness and humility and wanting to come to God. And we need to see the, the opportunity that is available to all to forgive sins. When in chapter 7, as we come to a close, I want you to see this point. Chapter 7, verse 24. There's a man he heals that was paralyzed to show that he could save them. But then we see the people complaining. Then verse 33, they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? Wasn't what they expected. They didn't understand why Jesus' practices were different than some others. They wanted him to conform to their little bubble and way of thinking. But he points out that it's not like that. But he goes on to say that he wants them to see that some would come into the faith and be saved in verse 24 of chapter 7. When he talked about John, he said, What went you out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. What did you expect from John? Did you expect a great speaker? Did you expect someone refined? Someone who dressed well and was well to do? But verse 25, But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Why did the Lord choose that man to prepare the way for him? Because that's what he was doing, was doing the unexpected and there were common people who came out and heard his message of repentance. To stop your sinfulness, they repented of their sins, they were baptized of him, they received the message, and yet there were people who were religious and devout who were rejecting the message. And so he says in verse 28, I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he... And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. The message here is 
many who had messed up and others would have viewed as sinners, they repented and changed and they were forgiven. But there were those who were viewed as the holy and the religious and the elite who were not practicing fully what he had said. Who's going to be right with God? Well, the one who receives his message and is baptized. And we make the application today that if, if even then, John's baptism was a preparatory baptism to bring us to Christ. Today we need to be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. If someone rejects John's baptism and has said that they rejected the counsel of God against themselves, then the same would be even more true about Christ's baptism. If you reject Christ's baptism, it's not that hard of a command. It might not make sense to you from an earthly perspective that dunking yourself in water is going to wash away all your sins. But that's what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Will you receive the message of God that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter even if you have a low estate now, the Lord wants to lift you up. He wants to raise you up to a high place. He wants to bring you into his kingdom and sit with him at his table in his kingdom. And he wants to give you a very special place forever and a place of honor and a place where you can be accepted, even if the world doesn't accept you, even if others do, don't accept you. You can be accepted with God if you'll meet him on his terms, and that is give up yourself first. Give up whatever sin is in your life and repent. Believe with all your heart that he's the Lord. Be baptized, confessing that you believe he's the Son of God. And every sin that you've committed, the Lord will treat as if it has never been committed. And he, will, and he will make you clean and accepted fully and welcomed. Not shamed and not hold it above you. Don't you want that freedom and that ability to be lifted of your burden and guilt? And that's what the Lord invites. And whatever your need is, won't you come while we stand and as we sing?